0: And so the geese that's in the front, you know, he or she is taking the point, and nobody's, you know, flapping for them, and so they're working the hardest, and, the, and they're hearing the honking behind them, like, come on, man, keep going, do a good job, we can make it. And, and then when that goose gets tired, he or she falls back in, and another goose jumps up in front to take their place. So it's really cool. You see how, how a group working together like that can go farther than any one individual, And you know what the other cool thing was? I found out that these geese were Christian. Because as I looked up and as I listened closely to what they were saying, they went, honk, if you love Jesus. And it was so neat to hear that. Thank you, Andrea. (laughs) All right. Hey, we are in the middle of a series, as Lisa said. Our series is called On Fire. We're taking a look at the earliest followers of Jesus. After Jesus concluded his ministry and his trial and his execution and his resurrection from the dead, he met with his followers for a period of 40 days. And then he took them up to the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave them this commission. And he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. And in outlying areas like Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascended up into heaven. And so, like most people, when their leader leaves town, and you don't know if he when or how he's coming back, the... The apostles and the followers were like, okay, now what do we do? So they went back into Jerusalem and they prayed together and they were constantly joined in prayer. They were praying and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And last week we saw on the day of Pentecost, that day in late spring, when thousands of Jews and religious pilgrims were gathered in Jerusalem for that feast in late spring, the Holy Spirit came and there was a mighty rushing wind sound. There was tongues of fire that rested on each of the Christ followers. And they all began to speak miraculously in other languages. And the real miracle that happened was that all of these religious Jews, these God-fearing Jews that had come in, in obedience to the call to gather together in Jerusalem at the temple for the, fest, for the feast, they were hearing the praises of God, not just in Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew they, or, or Latin. They were hearing the praises of God in their own native language from whatever country that they came from. And so the miracle was happening. They said, what does this mean? And Peter got up and explained what it meant. And he said, this is proof that Jesus really is the Messiah, and the man that you put to death and you rejected and you told Pontius Pilate that you'd rather have Barabbas be released instead of Jesus, that same Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive and reigning in heaven and he is the Messiah. God has made him both Lord and Christ. And the Jews were convicted. They were pierced to the heart and they said, we, re- we had the Messiah come to us and we rejected him. We must be in big trouble with God. What can we do about it? How can we ever get right with God? And Peter said, you know what you need to do? You need to repent. You need to turn away from rejecting Jesus and start going back to following him. And you need to be baptized. You need to publicly stand up and declare your loyalty as a Christ follower for the rest of your life. And praise God, in the service last hour, there was a a man, his name is Keith And he was here last week, and he heard the message, and he said, repent and be baptized. Huh? Well, I believe in Jesus, but I've never been baptized as a believer by immersion. I've never taken that step of faith. So you know what? I'm going to do that. And so we made arrangements, and we filled up the baptistry, and that water was warm. And uh, we baptized Keith into Christ. And so praise God for that. There was somebody who responded. And we pray that there will be many more to follow as people become and they understand who Jesus is and they declare their loyalty to Him in the waters of baptism. And so now, that day, that very day that the the Holy Spirit came and the miraculous languages and Peter preaches this message, that very day, 3,000 people in that crowd declared their loyalty to Jesus publicly. They were baptized that same day, and, a, and the church was launched. And it went from 120 loyal followers of Jesus to now there were over 3,000 followers of Jesus. It became an instant megachurch. And I often wonder, like, where are we going to put all these people? Where are we going to seed all these people? So one of the big questions was, now what? Now that they've come to believe in Jesus, how were they going to continue to grow in their Christian faith? And so what we're going to focus on today is we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have access to a Bible, maybe a a Bible in front of you in the pew, or if you have a Bible on your smartphone or your tablet, you can turn to Acts, chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 42 through 47 this morning. How to form a new faith community. Now that they have new life in Christ, how were they to grow? And so we begin, we begin in verse 42. It says, they joined with the other believers and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Just pause right there. It says right here, I can tell right now, for new believers to grow, they need at least two things. They need to be involved regularly in the apostles' teaching, which would be Bible study, which would be reading and studying and understanding and asking questions if you don't understand so that you can gain understanding what the Bible says and what it means and then putting it into practice. Lisa and I, uh, many of you know, were missionaries for a a period of time down in Chile in South America. And this was back when we were young, you know, maybe 10 years ago. Now it was about 25 years ago, actually. And so we go down to Chile, but on the way, we had this eight-month layover uh, in order for us to learn Spanish because one of the beauties of Chile is that English is not the main language there. It happens to be Spanish, and we needed to learn Spanish because we wanted to create, through that common language, we wanted to build a bridge to reach them with the good news about Jesus Christ. So we stopped in Costa Rica. We're in the capital city of San Jose, and we're in the Spanish Language Institute. And one of the things that they taught us, one of the great principles was, instead of trying to read a bunch of vocabulary words, instead of trying to learn a lot of Spanish and just pack your head with more and more Spanish every day, and you think you're going to absorb it all, it says the way that you become fluent in Spanish is that you learn a few words each day, you learn a few phrases each day, and you use it a lot. You learn a little bit and you use it a lot. That's how we grow in our Spanish language. That's how I think we grow in our Christian life. I think a lot of people today, we think that if I just read more, if I just listen to the radio more that has Christian teaching, if I just study the Word of God more, it's going to automatically make me a better Christian. And it doesn't automatically make us a better Christian because the Bible says love puffs up, excuse me, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We have to learn how to put into practice the thing that we're teaching. For example, if you're in a group and you're studying the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably Jesus' most famous message in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and Jesus talks about this comparison with communication and he says, you know, you've heard it said, do not swear, don't swear by the temple, don't swear by the gold in the temple, in other words, don't don't swear on your mother's grave. Don't don't swear by anything to try to get people to believe that you're telling the truth. Jesus says, stop swearing, stop stop trying to uh make people or do something spectacular so that people will just believe what you're telling them is the truth. He says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. In other words, just always tell the truth and quit fudging on the line. So, so for, for me, for somebody who might have a problem with lying, it would be, I need to always tell the truth. I need to quit lying. I need to quit telling outright lies. I need to quit using deceptive language that might lead people to where I want to take them, but it may not be the truth. I need to stop lies by omission, which if you ask my wife, that's probably my most famous lie, is what I don't tell her. And and we come up after the fact, and she learns what really happened. And she said, oh, so you told me this, this, and this. And I said, yes. She says, yeah, but you neglected that one little detail. And that one little detail happens to change the whole story, doesn't it? And I said, well, if I added that one little detail, that would have made me look bad, (laughs) right? So we have to learn to not just hear the words of Jesus and understand what he means. We have to learn what it means to put those words into practice in our lives. So we need to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We need the apostles' teaching, but we also need the second ingredient because it says they joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they needed to be with other believers. They needed to be taught by the the apostles. That's the first act. The second aspect of forming this new faith community was that these new believers committed themselves to this. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And what I say to you today is there's, two, there's at least two kinds of fellowship in the Christian life. There's the fellowship of corporate worship, where we all gather together weekly on the weekend to worship God. But this kind of communication is actually the, the, the worst kind of communication that actually results in life change. And the reason is because all you're doing is listening to me. I'm giving you a monologue. I'm Mr. Mono, and I'm giving you my monologue. And 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 even if you're listening and listening closely, it doesn't give you the opportunity to react to it. It doesn't give you the opportunity to process it out loud. It doesn't give you the opportunity to stop and ask questions. This isn't the format for that. This is a corporate worship service. Where can you stop and ask questions? Where can you find answers to what you're looking for instead of just what happens to be the Bible study material of the day? That happens in groups. That happens not in rows like we are gathered in now. That happens rather in circles. And so we need to practice at least two things to grow in the Christian life. We need a regular time of worship together, and we need a regular weekly gathering where we circle up in friendship and fellowship. And so, really, there's no more living in isolation, there's no more spiritual lone ranger, there's no more hermits allowed in the Christian life. If you come in, if you come into the church and you become a member of the body of Christ here, you become part of God's family. But it's the idea to know and to be known, to know God and to know him and be known by him, but also to know and grow with other believers. So those two things, they joined and they practiced the apostles' teaching, they also joined together for the fellowship the third regular activity in their meetings was they came together regularly and they shared in the Lord's Supper or in what we call the breaking of bread. That is what we just did today. We celebrated communion together. You can do that in your corporate worship service. You can also do that in your life groups. But it's the idea of remembering Jesus, remembering his sacrifice, his gift of love. This is what started our new life in Christ. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we never want to grow past to say, oh, you know what? I'm past the whole saved by grace. I'm past the whole I'm forgiven of my sins. I'm, I'm past the whole I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. We are never past that. We will never get past the idea in our Christian lives that we are a spiritual beggar that is coming to where the the bread of life is and and when we share Jesus it's one beggar sharing with another beggar where I found bread right so we need to practice the the activity of the breaking of the bread and then the fourth activity that's mentioned is they devoted themselves to the prayer or and in prayer to the prayers this idea where we usually pray together in our weekend services. A lot of times we pray for our nation, our country. We pray for the general welfare of the city in which we live. We just had a a, a change in our federal government this past week. We now have a new president, and we need to pray for him. And one of the things I love to hear—I don't know if you watched the inauguration. Lisa and I watched it li- live in front of our television and they had three different pastors that that stood up before the inauguration itself and the oath of office one of the pastors was dr sammy rodriguez he has a hispanic spanish-speaking church up in sacramento he quoted from first timothy 2 and he says it says that first of all i want prayers and petitions i want the churches to lift up the prayers and petitions for all those who are ruling in authority why so that we can lead quiet lives in submission so we can have peace in our country through our government and then it says this pleases god our savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth and i'm looking at lisa going can you believe he's he's he just said scripture he just said that 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 god wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and then he continued and i was like Glory. To God, it's happening," he said. He says First Timothy two five, and he says, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus." Boom! And and Doctor Sammy Rodriguez, it was so awesome, and I was like, "Yes!" And so that that's an example of a general scripture reading and prayer that goes out for the country. We do those kinds of general prayers here, but. I want to ask you the question if you have a need in your life if you just lost a job if you have a health challenge if you have a relational crisis in your family who are you going to go to and say i could really use your prayers i'm asking you to pray for me who do you know who would you do that because we usually don't do that in the corporate prayer in the corporate time of worship when we gather together We need to be in a life group. We need to circle up together and be with another small group of believers who know us and we know them and we can pray for them and they can pray for us. That's where that's mainly going to happen. You know, talking about a life group, what is a life group? It's a gathering of about six to 12 people. They meet weekly. They meet to practice all those spiritual disciplines, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the friendship, the breaking of bread together. In a life group, the breaking of bread is usually not communion, it's usually something a little more substantial than that. It's usually a snack or a meal or a dinner. Because in the body of Christ, if you're new to our church, one of our mantras is when we meet, we eat, right? And fellowship, we got a four letter word for fellowship. It's called F O O D. And we do that. And yeah, we're in fasting and prayer right now, and it's a little bit different. But for the most part, we're going to celebrate together and eat together, share meals together. It's going to be great. So what are the benefits of being in a life group each week? One of the benefits, the first one, is life groups move us out of our own self-centered isolation. In a life group, we get to know each other. We get to learn how to get along. It's like a laboratory of human relationships. We learn how to get along. It's a great classroom for how to practice unselfish, sympathetic love for each other. In a life group, we learn how to, for example, you learn how to accept somebody that you normally wouldn't get along with. And the Bible says, accept one another just as God in Christ has accepted you. And I go, but that person's so weird. Or in other words, weird as in my definition, as in different from me. So if, I'm, if they're weird to me, chances are, guess what? <laughs> I'm probably a little weird to them. And there's usually a, a person in every group that is called an EGR person, a person like that. There, it's, it's a person that needs a little extra grace required in that group. And if you're in a life group, you know, you probably are, come, somebody's coming to mind like, oh, yeah, so-and-so. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of those people that needs a little extra love and grace in our group, and we extend that to that person. And by the way, if you're thinking of your life group, if you're in one, and you can't really think of somebody doesn't come to mind. Guess what? It might be you. You might be that extra grace required person. And thank God that other people are willing to give you that grace and accept one another because that's what we learn to do in a life group. We learn to do life together. So we learn to accept people who are different from us. We learn how to listen to each other. We learn how to be patient. It's like my famous prayer, Lord, give me patience right now is when I want it. And, And I have to learn to be patient and to listen to other people. We learn how to speak the truth in love to one another. Sometimes somebody says something or has some value and you just know that's exactly opposite of what God's Word says. But how do you communicate that to that person? You have to do it in a spirit of love. You have to do it in a spirit, I'm really trying to help you here to grow in your life. I'm not trying to burn you or put you down or make you feel bad about yourself. I'm actually here to try like guardrails to try to help you to to walk the Christian life in the best way possible. So we learn how to speak the truth in love to one another. And it takes us out of our isolation. In a life group, number two, life groups help us to develop our spiritual muscles. You never grow to complete Christian maturity just by attending weekend services. I'm gonna say that again, because I think there are a lot of people in perhaps in this community and in our country that really don't believe that. You will, never go, you will never grow to complete Christian maturity only by attending a weekend service. They've now proven it, by the way. And one of the ways they proved it is they have said, um, they've done studies now of Christ followers. And they said, let's find out the people who claim to be Christ followers, the ones that are really growing in their faith versus the ones that are stagnant in their faith versus the ones that are perhaps even diminishing in their fervor and in their zeal to follow christ so the ones that are growing in their faith what are the characteristics one of the main characteristics are they have four or more touches or times with god's word the bible each week they have to have at least four times with god's word each week and so if you are here on sunday morning and you are are hearing god's word that counts as one touch Of the Bible each week. So where are you going to get your other three? I'm saying to you that God wants one of the other touches that week to have us circle up together and to be in a life group. And we will study God's word together and we'll learn how to apply it to our lives so we can all together become more like Jesus. It helps us develop our spiritual muscles. Number three, life groups are the best way to share our God-given mission in the world. When Jesus lived here on Earth, this was, this was really neat. Even Jesus was in a life group. Do you ever think about that? Even Jesus, because when he started his ministry, he knew that he was going to be here on Earth for a short amount of time and he knew that he was going to pass the baton of the mission of Christ to spread the good news to the rest of the world, beginning in Jerusalem, to these 12 to these apostles. And so, in Mark's gospel, chapter 3, it says that Jesus gathered disciples around him, and he chose 12 of them to be his apostles. And the main activity that these 12 guys were going to do with Jesus, he says, first of all, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach the good news and to cast out demons and to heal people. So, one of the main activities to be a disciple of Jesus is Jesus says that they might be with Him. Now, they had an extreme discipleship program. They were with Jesus 24-7 for three years. They ate with Him. They drank with Him. They traveled with Him. They heard Him. A lot of times Jesus' teaching came to them as they were walking on the road from one village to another. They had an intense time of, re- of, of Christian religious discipleship training. We don't necessarily have the chance to do that, but one way that we do have a chance is we can gather weekly with other believers and we can practice the Christian life together. So we can share our God-given mission in the world. Sometimes we best express that love in teams. Sometimes it's better to do ministry together than on your own. And I'll give you an example of that. When Lisa and I were in college and we met each other, we became officers of this college young adult group and one of our jobs was we were to uh, take the cards of any guests or visitors and during that week we were to go out to their homes or their apartments and we were to visit them and i knew what my role was because i knew god says go and make disciples of all nations preach the good news and see who responds to it so i knew that i was going to go share the good news of jesus with this person But I also knew that the person was not likely to listen to me if they didn't consider me friendly or a friend. So uh, this is how her spiritual gifts work. So I'm ready to go share. And Lisa has the gift of gab, if you didn't know anything about her. She has the gift of conversation. Uh, she has a million-dollar smile, and so when we knock on their door and they answer the door, there's Lisa saying, "Hi, I'm Lisa, and this is Jim, and we're from the East Side Young Adult Group, and we're here to, to visit with you. Thank you so much for coming to our church this last week. And can we talk to you for a few minutes?" And then she's like, "So tell me about yourself, and where are you from? And are you going to school somewhere? Are you working somewhere?" And about five to ten minutes of this, of this conversation that, that in my mind at the time, because I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to share the gospel, I'm going small talk, this is small talk, this is nice, uh, but I'm eventually going to get to the real reason why I showed up at your door. Um, and, but the point was we worked together tandem in a team. And Lisa really has relational skills much better than I do. So we work together. We accomplish God's mission together as a team better than I ever would would have on my own. So we work together to share our God's given mission in this world. A life group is a great way to do that. And then the fourth point about a benefit of being in a life group. A life group is a great way to keep us from spiritually backsliding. You don't know what backsliding is? <laughs> oh, I've never backslidden in my life. Well, then you might have a problem with lying. The, 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 idea, the idea of backsliding is losing your spiritual zeal for the Lord, losing the I want to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, the idea of getting distracted by things in the world, Uh, The idea of falling into temptation, and perhaps it turns into an addiction, and now you're stuck on that rather than on, on following Christ wholeheartedly. So that would be some examples of spiritual backsliding. No one person here in this room is completely immune to temptation. Given the right situation, you and I are capable of just about any sin. And you know what? God knows that, and we need to recognize that. The Bible says, let him who who thinks he stands take heed, or in other words, watch out lest he fall, right? And the Bible says also in the book of Hebrews, it, it says the way we can keep each other from spiritually backsliding. It says, encourage one another daily. Let us encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sometimes being around other believers, when I see somebody zealous for the Lord, like Lily in our prayer meeting on at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, and I and I hear her pray and I see her zeal to follow Christ, it inspires me to do better. I want to do better because I was around her and watching her spiritual zeal. And it helps keep me from backsliding. So a life group is great for all of those reasons. You know, friends, Nobody in here, if you name the name of Jesus and you claim to be his follower, nobody has the right to say, you know what? Mind your own business when it comes to living out the Christian life. We were called to live the Christian life together in fellowship with one another. Now, it's very interesting because you go on after these four disciplines that the church is involved in, in order to grow, you know, they devoted themselves, you remember, the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to being friends with each other, doing the Christian life together, to the breaking of bread, sometimes that's communion, sometimes it's sharing meals together, and to the prayers. So they did all those four disciplines, and then it says in verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. I love that word awe because it reminds me of the word awesome. When something's awesome, it just makes you full of awe. It's like only God can be doing that and accomplishing that in our lives. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. Wow, that is an amazing development that these early Christ followers, they recognized each other. They weren't just, oh, you follow Jesus, I follow Jesus, but I'm my own person and you're, the own per- you're your own person. I don't have anything really to do with you nor you with me. That's not the way they viewed each other. They saw each other as brothers and sisters in God's family and that God put them together to take care of each other. They could all benefit from God's gifts. And you know, in your Christian life, it might be tempting for you to cut yourself off from other believers, to isolate yourself, and only think of enjoying yourself in in this world and say, you know what this world's all about? This world's all about getting all I can and then canning all I get. Okay? if that's the if that's your attitude that it's just about you, God wants you to, to break you out of that attitude and bring you into God's family so that we treat each other with kindness and respect we care for each other and we help take care of one another. you know it talks about meeting financial needs in the, in these verses right here. I saw the elders of this church I saw them do this last month. there was a family in our church who had a financial need. Someone had lost their job and they were Un, they were unpaid bills that were mounting up and, and things were looking kind of desperate and Christmas was going to look bleak this year for them. So w- the elders, they found out about this financial need and they met with the, with the family and the elders committed a, a fairly large sum of money to help them out, to help cover their bills to help them get by during a hard time in their life. And, and that person who is unemployed is now employed, praise God, and they, they're back to work and the family's getting back on their feet. But it, what I saw was I just saw this generosity from the elders. They're saying, you know what? God has blessed us with a good amount of offerings and income, and we need to use some of that money to help people in our own church family who are in financial need. And I saw them do that, it was great to behold. It it was so powerful. What else, as we look at these early believers, what else did they do that was so powerful? It says in verse 46, It says they worshiped together at the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So here we are. We see these two activities one more time. First, they worshiped together at the temple each day. That would be a large gathering. That would be the corporate worship like we do here on Saturday night and on Sunday morning. So they gathered together at the temple each day and then they shared their meals with each other from house to house in people's individuals home so they were doing life together the second activity it goes way beyond just showing up to meet at church on a weekend it says they met in homes they shared their meals so again one of the great rules for a life group is f-o-o-d that spells fellowship so how did they do it they committed themselves to doing life together so god For us today, God wants us to belong. You know, first he wants us to believe. Peter said, repent and be baptized. But once we do that, he wants us to belong. Rick Warren says it this way in The Purpose Driven Life. He says, you were formed to be part of God's family. You were formed for God's family. As human beings, I really believe that. I really believe one of our deepest desires is to belong. Belong. To, be, to love and to be loved, to, to be known and to know other people, and to do life together in a community where there is mutual love and grace and support. Um, where a, a place where we're going to gather together and celebrate life's joys, a place where you're going to celebrate birthdays and holidays and graduations and weddings, and sometimes, yes, even the, the tougher times in life of, of times when somebody goes into surgery, or times when somebody loses a loved one and there's a funeral, where you go through life in those in the mountaintops and the valleys. In Galatians, it says this. It says, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens, and thus you will fulfill the law of Christ. Where are we going to be, actually be carrying each other's burdens? I say we're going to carry each other's burdens primarily in our life groups. We're going to take care of each other and pray for each other and meet each other's needs and be the hands and feet of Jesus together in our life groups. Figure out a place, a way in your own circle of friends, in your own families where you can extend compassion out there in your neighborhood and in your community and among people that you know. You know, I'll close with this. My senior year of high school, I was not playing football at the time. I played my freshman year, and then I decided for some dumb reason that I was not going to play football my sophomore and my junior year. And I finally got to the point of my senior year, and I said, this is is crazy. I am not going to leave my high school career because you can never go back. And all those times, they have these movies where you can go back in time and change your past, I knew that, that those were great fantasies and they made for great movies, but it wasn't reality. So here I am at the end of my junior year. What am I gonna do? I decided I'm going back to football and I'm gonna play football. It was important to me. It was important for me not to be a quitter. It was important to me to go back to something that I happened to be good at. So I joined the football team and I find out in the summer that there's this summer football and there's a training program and we did some running and we did drills and we did sprinting and we did weightlifting in the weight room, and it was all to get ready for the upcoming season in the fall. And then the fall season and and our football team uh, for that time in August, that season began with what we call Hell Week. Do any of you guys know, any of you guys ever play football, know what I'm talking to when I say Hell Week? Hell week was that first week of training. There's no pads, there's no helmets. There's just you and your shorts and your cleats and your T-shirt, and you've got these coaches around that used to be nice, but now they're like these mean drill sergeants, and they're doing nothing but making you work and making you sweat and making you tired and making you feel like you want to quit. But the whole team is doing it together, and we're all working toward this common goal, and the collective goal was that we as a team were going to have a great Season for our our school's football team. And as individuals, we were part of this team and we were going to work together for that common goal. And so we went through, we go through Hell Week and we had to to do twice a day. We ran hard in the morning. We got down on the ground and got all grassy and dirty. We went home and we rested. We just basically laid there on a sheet because we didn't have air conditioning. We laid there on the sheet and just vegged out until we went back to the, the afternoon practice. And in the afternoon practice, it was even worse because we went into the, to the gym and the weight room and they had converted it into what they called the party room. It should have been called the torture room, but they called it the party room just as a, as a joke. And when you go into that room, the rules were, there was about 16 or 18 different stations And in each of the stations, you had to do as many reps of whatever it was on the weight or the the burpees or the leg lunges or whatever it was. You had to do it for as hard as you could for one solid minute. And then you got to rest. The whistle blew. You got 30 seconds to rest. But during that 30 seconds, you also had to hustle and get to the next station. And if you didn't make it to the next station and you were ready to go... Each coach had the right to look at you and say, you're not giving your your max effort, you're not hustling, get out. And if you had to get out of that party room and you made it two-thirds of the way through and you were already exhausted, you know what the punishment was for getting out? You had to leave that gymnasium and walk all the way back around to the entrance and you got the privilege of starting over again in the party room. I reflect on that time and I, I was thinking, you know, if I was by myself and I was getting yelled at by a coach or I was called to say, you know, Jim, you can just go and do that training on your own, and here's the reps that you need to do, and here's the running that you need to do, and here's the gassers that you need to do, where we all had to line up on the sideline, and coaches blow the whistle, and we had to run and sprint 50 yards to the other sideline, and we had to stop and get ready for the coach to blow the whistle again, and we were tired and beyond tired. But you know know what kept me going? It wasn't even the fact that I had trained and gotten in shape. What kept me going is I had these these fellow football players that were my friends, and I didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to be the weak link in the chain. I didn't want them thinking that I didn't have what it took to be a good football player to join this team. So I worked hard, and I worked my you-know-what off in order to excel in order to try to be a better football player because the goals of the team were greater than my own individual goal and i know that i worked harder because i was part of this team than i ever would have worked on my own that's the point of why god put us into this family why he puts us into these local churches He has us believe the good news about Jesus, and we become followers of Christ, and then he puts us into these local congregations. And then besides the weekend worship, he wants us to gather together. You're in rows right now, but God wants us during the week to be in circles so that we can learn what it means to love each other and encourage each other and pray for each other and accept one another, where we learn to do all the one another's. We learn to do that in circles, not in rows. And so I think our action points for today is we need to practice two spiritual, regular disciplines during the week, during each week. First of all, on the weekend, we, uh, we attend, we participate in a weekend service. That would be the rose. But during the week, we also gather together in our life groups. We gather in our circles. I want to do a quick survey here. Show of hands. Now, whatever alpha waves you were on, snap out of it. I want, to, I, want to, I want you guys to respond to this. If you are presently, right now, active in a life group, not you're on a break or not I used to be in one or not I'm planning on being one, if you are active right now in a life group, would you please raise your hand? It's great. It's nice to see you raise your hand. Now, keep your hands up. Please keep your hands up because what I want the rest of you who do not have your hands up, I want you to look around. And I want you to look at the people who have their hands up. And I want you to notice, you know what? They're not weird. They're not crazy. They're not aliens from another planet. These people are nice. I bet you that if I walked up to them and say, you know, I understand you're in a life group. I'm not in one. Would you mind if I came and checked out your life group? I bet you they would be welcoming. And I bet you they would say, yes, you can put your hands down now. So, that's what we're looking for. Look around this room. See who's in a life group and figure out one to join. What's the other method? You go back in the, in the church lobby area after the service. There are sign-up sheets for these new women's groups that are forming. There, if you want to get in a life group, we can put you in one as a result of being in the membership class. So if you want to go to starting point next week after this service... Please attend that, and we will help you get into a life group. If you take that yellow card, the welcome card, on the back, one of the statements is, I'm interested in being in a life group. Circle that card with your name on it. We will contact you. We will help you do it. You have to decide if you're going to be obedient to God's calling to do that because God wants us to do both of those things. When he says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. We do that in two ways, the way we're doing it right now and also circling up during the week in a life group. Let's pray together. Lord, we so want to be genuine and authentic followers of Jesus. Lord, we want to keep growing in our faith. We don't wanna just stop and be stagnant where we are. God, we wanna make progress, we wanna move forward And learn what it means to become more like jesus in our lives lord we want to make a difference for you in this world we want to be able to point others to you around us point them to you in our world today and so lord we pray that you would help us to see the great value of what it means to do life together both in our weekend meetings god yes and in our weekly life groups and so, Lord, help us to get beyond the, just the having a good thought like, you know, I really should get into a life group. I really should join one. Lord, help us to move past that to actually the decision and the commitment to make good on that and say, I will join a life group. I will find one and I will become part of a community of faith in that way. So, Lord, also for those present people that are already in life groups, Lord, help them to be open and welcoming to new people. And, Lord, if there are people in this room today that you're calling, this, you're calling right now and you're saying, yes, you're in a life group, but I'm calling you to start a new one. I'm starting you to reach out to new people in our church and, and to step out of your comfort zone and be a life group leader. Lord, I pray that they would say yes to you. I pray they'd say yes to that call and that you would bless them for that step of faith. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us and empower us to be doers of your word, and not just hearers only. Help us to do that. Help us to be obedient, and Lord, bless us as we do what you tell us to do, because we know that there's blessing in obedience. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.